we use that that phrase. Well, you know, we just have a few bad apples. And that's true. I do believe that the majority of police officers are honest, hardworking people. No question about it. Welcome to this month's edition of the FBI National Academy Associates Leadership APB podcast series. My name is John Kennedy, and I'm the Director of Education and Training for the FBI National Academy Associates. Thank you for joining us today. These are very difficult and far from normal times. We hope that you, your families, your staffs, and your communities are safe and well. The Leadership APB podcast series will engage law enforcement and public safety executives and discussions on timely and current topics affecting first responders around the world. These leaders will share with you their leadership and managerial philosophies, successes, and obstacles they have encountered during their careers. The podcast series are free audio programs distributed to FBI National Academy Associate members, their staffs, and other law enforcement executives that provide our communities, states, countries, and profession with the highest degree of law enforcement professionalism and expertise. It's a pleasure to introduce and have with us today, Commissioner Chuck Ramsey. Commissioner Ramsey is the former commissioner of the Philadelphia Police Department and former chief of police for the Metropolitan Police Department of the District of Columbia. And he is a proud graduate of FBI National Academy. Commissioner Ramsey, thanks for being with us today. That's quite all right. Thank you for the invitation. Commissioner Ramsey, you've had a very successful and well-respected career. Why did you choose to go into law enforcement as a profession? Well, it's uh, a bit of a story because I became a police officer by accident. Um, I didn't grow up um, thinking about becoming a police officer. I I didn't have anything against being a police officer, but my dream was to become a doctor. My mother was a nurse, so I was around that you know, hospitals and so forth. My dad uh, drove a bus in Chicago. I'm a native of Chicago. And um, as a kid coming up, I just thought I wanted to be a doctor. In fact, after I graduated from high school, I was working in a grocery store and a couple of police officers used to come in playing clothes guys um, on a regular basis because one of them's sister was a cashier there. And they came in on a regular basis just to make sure we were okay. And we struck up a friendship. And one day they told me about a police cadet program that the Chicago Police Department had at the time. And what was really attractive about it was the fact that the city paid your tuition. And I was a freshman um, at the University of Illinois at the time, and I was not a scholarship kid. So I definitely uh, needed the money. And so I became a police cadet. And once I became a cadet, I fell in love with it. And, you know, it just kind of like it was meant to be. It was the right fit for me. Uh, But it was totally by accident. Thank God it happened because uh, I've truly, truly enjoyed my career. I wish I could do it all over again. You've led numerous teams throughout your career. What is your secret to leadership that you've learned during your career? Well, I mean, I've always believed that, you know, you're only as good as the team around you. It's not about so much you as an individual as it is the talented people that you have the honor of being able to work with. I've always tried to build a team of people who have strengths where I have weakness. And believe me, I have my share of weaknesses. Uh, But once you recognize that and and you build your team uh, so that it's well-rounded, I I think you can really overcome any gaps that you might have personally 
in terms of what you're capable of doing. For an example, I'm not a very analytical person. I see a problem. I want to jump right to action. Uh, but that's not always the right thing to do. And I had a person that worked with me. I met in Chicago, Nola Joyce. I convinced her to come with me to D.C. when I took over as chief in D.C. and then later Philadelphia. Uh, but she has that research background, um, very detail-oriented that analytical mind that you need to be able to really think through problems, come up with solutions. Um, and so, you know, having people like that on board um, actually means an awful lot. I mean, you get too much credit, I think, as a leader of an organization, as well as too much blame when things go bad. Um, but if you don't have a good team around you, it's very, very difficult to succeed. So, any success I have, uh, in short, I owe it to the people, the men and women I've had the pr privilege of working with. How do you develop leaders within such large departments that you've led? Well, talent's all around you. Uh, and it's not based just on rank. I mean, you just give people an opportunity, give them a chance, give them things that they can really kind of, you know, show their own creativity and, and what they're capable of doing. You know, um, to use an analogy, uh, I'm a, I like football. Uh, and let's say you have a person who's an all pro defensive end. If you move that player to a wide receiver, they're not going to do too well. I mean, they don't have the speed, probably don't have the hands. Now, why is that? Because you're playing them out of position. And I think what we do in policing an awful lot, at least my experience has been, that we tend to plug people into positions that they may not have the proper background for, the training uh, to be successful. And then we wonder why they perform um, uh, not at the optimal level. You have to prepare people for the various assignments that you're about to give them. You, you give them an opportunity, but that doesn't mean that they have the natural ability to fit in. And so, uh, you know, put people where they can do the organization the, the most. Um, also, I, I think you do them a disservice if you keep them too confined in any one area. Anybody who worked in the detective division probably wants to make rank throughout the investigative uh, units within the department. But you do them a disservice, in my opinion, if you don't put them in other positions so that they can be more well-rounded and learn more about leadership and policing in general. What are the core values that you try to pass on to your staff? Well, I mean, to me, it's simple, honesty, integrity. I mean, without that, you don't have anything. And, uh, you know, listen, you, you're going to come across a lot of situations. Uh, many of them maybe not that good, but don't lie about it. I mean, I've always had a, uh, people have, have always, you know, wondered why sometimes, you know, I, I uh, get bad news out uh, even before it becomes a problem. I'll give you an example in Philadelphia. We had a situation where we had gotten uh, um, military uh, firearms, uh, AR-15s, uh, from the military during the time they had that program for the surplus uh, 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 weapons and so forth, giving to police. Anyway, make a long story short, uh, you're supposed to do an inventory on the, on the uh, weapons or whatever it is that you got from the government on a regular basis. Well, we were doing it. At least I thought we were doing it. The military came in and decided to do an independent audit, and they found that one of the one of the weapons was missing. Now you're talking about an assault weapon that we could not account for, uh, 
in a city like Philadelphia that has more than a share of gun violence. Uh, when that came to my attention, obviously we did what we could to try to find it, but that window of opportunity was getting very, very narrow for us. So I called a press conference without telling anybody what it was about, and I announced what had taken place. Some people didn't understand why I wanted to do that. The reason was because bad news does not improve with age. It's better for you to get it out, get the truth out before someone else uncovers it. I mean, you know, uh, was it embarrassing? Yeah. Uh, was it something that I wanted to do? No. But it's just best to get that out and be honest about what, what's going on in your organization, the good and the bad. You can't just cherry pick this stuff. You really can't. So I think honesty, I think integrity, um, you know, calling it like it is, be fair. Uh, those are the kinds of things that I think uh, if you don't instill anything else in an individual, uh, try to instill those values because those are the ones that will take you a lot further than anything else. There's been a tremendous amount of talk about defunding the police. What are your thoughts on this and the true meaning behind it? Well, I think it means different things to different people. Um, you know, I, I've asked many people what they mean uh, by that, defunding the police. And what I hear more often is they're talking about reallocating funds. In other words, uh, taking funds from the police and providing additional funds to community-based social services, for an example. Now, on the surface, it's hard to really argue with that. You know, police do get overextended a bit. I mean, whether we're talking about responding to people going through a mental health crisis, maybe a substance abuse, homelessness issues, those kinds of things. I'm not suggesting, suggesting that police should be totally removed from those kinds of things, but you know, over the years, police have taken on the roles and filled the gaps where other agencies have really kind of dropped the ball. So on the surface, that sounds logical. But the reality is, one, budgets aren't organized that way, where you can take X amount of dollars because you've got it geared toward that one particular type of, of response to a call. Um, the other problem with that is, and my fear, is that they'll remove the money from the police budget but they won't take away the responsibility. And the reason for not being able to take away the responsibility, some of these calls are dangerous. I mean, you're going to get a social worker to walk into a, a house where uh, someone is going through a mental health crisis and they're violent. Uh, you're just not going to be able to do that. So police are going to have to respond anyway. Now, I don't think we should be first responders necessarily to everything. Um, but to think that we'll never have to respond to some of these calls, I think is ridiculous. Uh, but social services uh, should be staffed properly. So they're available around the clock because at three o'clock in the morning uh, and something like that happens, you're not going to have mental health workers that are going to be available uh, to respond in a timely fashion. So I have... Um, my doubts about whether or not that's going to lead people to where they think it's going to lead them, quite frankly. I think that police uh, should be given um, uh, uh, adequate budgets to be able to carry out all their responsibilities, including responding to those kinds of calls. I recently heard an interview with you during a Perth Town Hall meeting, and you said, apples fall from a tree, and if you get enough of them falling from the tree, then you better check that tree out. Can you tell listeners what you meant by this? 
Well, what I was referring to, <clears throat> oftentimes, whenever we have a corruption scandal or we have an individual officer who engages in um, an act of misconduct and uh, the chief has asked about it or anyone else has asked about it, we use that, that phrase. Well, you know, we just have a few bad apples. And that's true. I do believe that the majority of police officers are honest, hardworking people. No question about it. But we can't ignore the fact that we do have some people within our profession that really should not be police officers, quite frankly. And so to constantly say that, you know, it's a few bad apples, and maybe it is, but if you look down and you see a lot of those apples, at some point in time, you got to check the tree to make sure that there's nothing wrong taking place, that tree's not diseased. That's where you start getting into systemic issues. Is there something that we're not doing that we ought to be doing? Because even with that tree, if you don't properly maintain it, if you don't prune it uh, properly, if you don't if you don't take the steps that you need to take so that the next year that tree produces more good apples than bad apples, uh, then we're going to be in this cycle of constantly, constantly trying to deal with many of the issues that we find ourselves dealing with today. I don't think we can ignore the fact that we do have some problem individuals within our, our profession, and we do need to weed them out. You're a graduate of the FBI National Academy. Yeah. What advice do you give new NA grads who are and will be leading the future of law enforcement? Well, first of all, I went through the 146th session. I was thinking about that today. I mean, that was a long time ago. I was a, a young lieutenant in the Chicago Police Department assigned in the uh, detective division, the Violent Crimes, which handles uh, homicide, robbery, sexual assault, at least it did at the time. Um, and so, you know, I, it was, uh, it was a great opportunity to go there. Now, at the time I went to the Academy, um, I really hadn't thought much about one day becoming a police chief, but I had an old boss, uh, Leroy Martin, who was superintendent of police that went to a meeting I attended, uh, right after he was appointed. And he started the meeting by saying that he was terribly disappointed with many of his young lieutenants. And I thought he was looking straight at me because many of us did not have our bachelor's degrees. And I was one of them. I had three years finished in college, but I did not have my bachelor's degree. And that if we wanted to go any further, we needed to get back in school. So timing was everything. I got the opportunity to go to the ENA. I got to 17 hours from the University of Virginia. And I used that as a springboard to get back in school finish my undergraduate and my graduate degree. So my advice, if you find yourself in that position, use that as a springboard, because I'm going to tell you something. It's a tremendous opportunity to, to go to the FBI National Academy um, and to have that in your resume. You have a legitimate chance of becoming a chief or a sheriff one day. You do not know what the future holds. So use that as a springboard uh, to further your own um, and advance your own career. Um, that's what I did. I didn't know at the time it would lead me to um, Washington and to Philadelphia, but certainly having the opportunity to attend the FBI National Academy back in 1985, I believe that's the year I went, um, proved to be one of the best things I ever did. And I'll always be grateful to the NA for giving me that opportunity, that chance. Commissioner, it's been a pleasure to be able to talk to you today. 
Again, thank you for taking the time to share your leadership and managerial philosophy with our FBI National Academy Associates members, their staffs, and our other law enforcement colleagues. This concludes our broadcast. We hope that you will be able to join us again next month for the next edition of the podcast series. Please stay safe and well. Goodbye for now.